we do certainly thank God for the faith and for the hope that he gives us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But Christians, have you ever uh, thought about what it would be like uh, to put yourself in the shoes, so to speak, of an unbeliever? And perhaps, certainly, there may be some unbelievers, some non-Christians with us today, and you don't have to think about what that would be like. And that is you, certainly it is our hope, it is my hope, it is my prayer that you come to know this living hope, this living faith that we have uh, through Jesus Christ. But imagine for a moment what it would be like not to have heard this message or uh, to have an outsider's view of the message that we profess to, to believe. For many of us, we grew up in the church, and so we sort of... Uh, this whole practice of, of coming to church and uh, discussing Jesus things feels quite quite natural. In fact, it feels a bit odd uh, not to be in church on a given Sunday, and that's that's a good thing. But imagine for a moment what others, what those who are are not used to a church atmosphere, those who have not repented and believed in Christ, how they may perceive uh, the Christian life. Well, the scriptures tell us in our passage for today in First Peter chapter two. Uh, verse 12, that we are to live such good lives, called upon to live such good lives among pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. In other words, the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to be intriguing to those who profess no allegiance to Christ. There ought to be something about our love and our service and our faithfulness that is attractive to the rest of the world, even if they reject our, our message. And as we pick back up in First Peter this morning, we uh, continue to look at what it means to, to live as followers of Jesus Christ, as temporary residents here on this earth. So let me invite you to open the scriptures with me today, uh, once again, to the New Testament letter of First Peter, found near the end of our Bibles. And if you're using a pew Bible, First uh, Peter begins on page 980. But uh, up to this point in this letter, in fact, the previous verses leading right up to where we are going to pick up today, uh, Peter gives some instructions for Christians. Uh, firstly, on who they are, their identity, what they have received, what we have received by faith in Christ. And then he reminds us that we are to be characterized by uh, a love for each other, that we ought to love one another deeply, he says, from the heart, a sincere love for fellow believers. But as we pick up the letter today, there's a marked shift uh, from a focus on the relationships that we have within the church with other believers uh, to the relationships and the message that we send to outsiders or to unbelievers to the rest of the world. So as Peter continues to write, I think he instructs us as followers of Jesus on what it means to be heavenly citizens in an earthly kingdom. So as you find your place there in First Peter, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11, is our text for today. And there the scriptures read this way. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor 
as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do invite you now as our shepherd, as our overseer as our Lord, as our King, as our guide, as our Savior, to lead us by the power of your Spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your Word and applying them to our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, up into this point in this letter, as I mentioned a moment ago, Peter has reminded believers, remember that Peter is writing to Christians who are scattered in various places and various regions, and by implication of being in God's Word, he is also writing to us as believers living in the year 2016 in Birmingham, Alabama as well. But he writes and he reminds his readers who they are, that they are people who have received a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade away. He reminds them uh, that they are a holy nation, God's chosen people, a special possession. They have received a status in Jesus Christ, a once and for all status as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But even so, as those who've received that status, we're called to grow into that status. We're called to mature in that status. We're called to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever been to uh, UAB Hospital, you may have noticed something about some of uh, the doctors and, and staff there. You may have noticed that there are some folks that look like doctors that wear uh, short coats, and there are other folks that uh, also look like doctors that wear uh, longer coats. And UAB Hospital and some other hospitals that are connected to uh, a med school often follow this practice where those who are med students uh, wear a short white coat, and those who are uh, medical doctors who are practicing uh, medicine wear a longer white coat. But you can distinguish who they are based upon what they're wearing. And wherever they are, whether they're a medical student or a medical doctor, they're called to uh, practice and to grow into that field. If they're a student, they're called to continue to learn more about the profession of medicine and prepare to practice medicine. If they're medical doctors, they're called to continue learning about medicine and faithfully practice medicine. And likewise, church, as those who have been saved by the grace of God, we are given a new status. We're given a new position. 
And our status is secure in and through Jesus Christ, but we are called to grow into that status. We are called to continue to live as his people. Those who are saved are called to live as the saved. And as we grow into this new position, as we grow into this new status, even though we are temporary residents here on earth, we continue to experience temptation to sin. We continue to struggle with sin. And Peter reminds us that we are called upon to wage war against sin, that we're to war, to battle, to fight against sin and the temptation to sin because we want to glorify God. Because we want Him to experience pleasure as our God, as our Lord, and as the one who invites us to approach Him as a Heavenly Father. We want to honor Him, and we also want others, outsiders, the unchurched, unbelievers, to look at our lives and be drawn to the only God who saves As those loved and claimed by God, church, we are called to live such good lives that unbelievers believe. As those who are loved and claimed by God, the one and only God, we are called upon as His people to live such good lives that unbelievers believe. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, Peter's words are... Similar to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to his followers. He tells them in the same way, let your light shine before others, before the world, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, as those who have repented and embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have received new life. We have received abundant life. And we want others to know that life. We want others to respond to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. We want others to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and experience what we indeed have experienced. And Peter calls his audience here, verse 11, dear friends. This is a rather weak interpretation, actually, of the original language here. It's literally beloved. In other words, Peter is calling upon his audience to recognize that they are loved by God, that they are valued by God, that they are cherished by God, that they are his people. And as his people, they have undergone a great change that ought to impact the way they live and walk and talk and conduct themselves as his people in the world. You know, we live in a day and time and a culture where there is much talk about identity crisis and determining who we are and wanting to claim certain identity as individuals and sometimes collectively to the point, particularly as we've heard in the news recently, much about gender confusion to the point that some young boys and young girls are wanting to be something else, wanting to be in a different body at a young age. And regardless of what we want, we cannot change our biological identity any more than we can change our familial Identity, But what is certain based upon the word of God is those who repent and believe in Jesus have been given a new status, a new identity as children of God, as children of the king. And he determines who we are. He declares our identity and we can rest in 
that we are no longer our own. We are bought at a price and we are called upon to live for him as his people. And I think the implication of what Peter is writing here is that we Christians are called upon to approach everything with an eye for God's mission. We are called upon to approach everything, everything in this life as his people with an eye for God's mission because we want others to experience the truth of First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We want others to become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We want others to know the one true living God. Church, we're privileged to have um, a fairly new couple in our church that I believe embodies this, that spent much of their lives approaching life with an eye for, for God's mission. Harold and Helen Hancock, a couple in our church, if you have not met them or had opportunity to get to know them, let me encourage you to do so. They bring a wealth of knowledge and experience and passion to the areas of evangelism and missions. Like Harold and Helen have served in leadership positions in various churches and have served uh, as a Southern Baptist missionaries in Korea. And Harold served as the first minister of missions at First Baptist Church uh, Montgomery. And under his leadership, uh, First Baptist Montgomery grew exponentially in the area of, of missions. And both Harold and Helen have been instrumental in putting together a book, this book, titled Christ's Last Command is Our first priority that recounts how an old downtown church became a global missions strategy center. I want you to know, church, that uh, this is uh, an excellent read recounting stories of everyday missions. And uh, you may have noticed the table in the foyer this morning. These books, we have a number of these books available to you this morning free of charge. So let me encourage you to take one of these as I think they will be uh, encouraging to you as you begin to live or continue to live life with an eye for, for God's mission. We're called upon to point others to Jesus. After all, we're told in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 and chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is good and pleases God our Savior. God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So because God wants all people to know Him and to experience His goodness and His salvation, church, we want to point others to Him. And one way that we can encourage unbelievers to believe is by living as upstanding and obedient citizens. Christ followers honor God as upstanding and obedient citizens, upstanding and obedient citizens. We're called upon right here in Scripture and elsewhere in Scripture to respect and to obey those who are in positions of authority over us, even when we disagree with them, even when we don't appreciate or agree with policies and practices and laws. Those who are in positions of authority over us on whatever level and whatever institution we are called to obey, to submit to their leadership, to their authority, to respect them, to obey them, except when they call us to do things that are inconsistent with our walk with Christ, except when they call us to do things that are not honoring to our God. And it is then and only then that our allegiance to God trumps any human allegiance. But incredibly, right here in 1 Peter, Peter is writing this this truth, these words, 
Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority during the reign of the wicked emperor Nero. The wicked Roman emperor who just a few years after this would carry out persecution among believers, ultimately leading to Peter's own arrest and crucifixion upside down on a cross as a follower of Jesus Christ. Church, we are called to to honor God as upstanding and obedient citizens. And though we are temporary residents here, this is not our permanent home. One way that we can glorify God when it comes to those who have been given positions of leadership over us is to give thanks to God for them. Give thanks for government. First Peter chapter 2, verse 14, we're reminded that these governing leaders are sent by God. In other words, government is God's design. Human institutions that call upon to establish and maintain justice are the design of God. They're gifts from God, and this is their responsibility in the world. We're called to give thanks for government, and secondly, to respect and pray for government leaders. As believers, as Christians, as those who know that this is not our permanent home, but are here for a little while, called to be salt and light, called to be hope in the darkness. We are called upon to respect and to pray for government leaders. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. This is a fairly interesting summation of exhortations to to Christians regarding their conduct. We're called to respect, to honor everyone. Everyone in the world, but there's a separate level of allegiance to believers. We're called to love believers and to fear God above all. We're called to respect all, but to fear God and to love fellow Christians. Same ref- passage of scripture that I referenced moments ago, First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Prayers and petition, thanksgiving be made for all that we might live lives of godliness and holiness. Church, we are called upon to submit to those who are in leadership positions over us, to respect them and to pray for them. And next we see here in First Peter chapter 2 that we are called free servants who are called upon to serve God and others. As free servants, believers, we can serve God and are called to serve God and and others. Verse 16, Peter writes, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. To catch the irony there, we're called free people. To be characterized by freedom, but yet we are called to live as as God's slaves. And as believers in Jesus who've received salvation by the grace of God, we have been freed from legalism, the pursuit of earning God's favor, for we can never earn it on our own. We are free from guilt, for God has exchanged our guilt for the innocence, for the righteousness of His Son, our Lord. And we are free from the rule of sin, for we have the Spirit of God residing in us, leading us, convicting us, guiding us to know and to follow after After him, we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are not our own. We are the Lord's. So as those who are loved and claimed by God as his people, we're called to live such good lives that unbelievers look at us and begin to believe. 
Christ followers honor God as upstanding and obedient citizens. And we see here that Christ followers honor God as faithful and dependable employees. Christ followers honor God as faithful and dependable employees. In verses 18 through 20, Peter begins to address the master-slave relationship. And indeed, there were many slaves in the first century Roman world, but their slavery was a bit different than uh, the slavery that we remember or that we hear about, that we read about, that we've been taught about in our own uh, nation's history. For for the most part, slaves in that day were treated fairly well. Many of them were uh, educated and uh, given a, a skilled profession to undertake. Most of them were paid for their work, and many could expect to eventually buy their freedom. And so for these reasons, we can take the principles that are directed here toward masters and slaves and readily transfer them to the workplace today. And remember that all of this section, in fact, much of this letter, indeed much of the New Testament, is about followers of Jesus living in such a way that we show Jesus to the rest of of the world. And unbelievers begin to look at our lives and are drawn to our our God. So because this is the case, Christians work, study, or serve for the Lord's sake. Work, study, or serve for the Lord's sake. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation, in whatever relationships we're called to, to give ourselves to those ultimately for the Lord's sake in a way that glorifies Him. Christ's followers are called upon to honor God as upstanding and obedient citizens. And Christ's followers are called upon to honor God as faithful and dependable employees. And thirdly, Christ's followers are called upon to endure suffering by trusting God. Christ's followers endure suffering by trusting God. Suffering is a theme of First Peter as it is much of the New Testament. And right here, Peter writes to believers. And he says, for those who are suffering, for those who suffer and are conscious of, of God, that they are being obedient, that they are being faithful, that they are living as salt and light in, in the world. And this is the example that Jesus leaves us as our Lord, as our Savior, as a God who came to us and humbled himself and suffered for us on our behalf. And we are called upon to follow his example. So follow Jesus's example. Follow Jesus's example. Verses 21 and 22. To this you are called, Peter writes, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So even when we face injustice, even when we perhaps face oppression, even when we face trials and hardships and tragedies, even when we perhaps face persecution for our faith in Christ, we are called upon to live with blameless conduct in a way that points others to know and to love and to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I think that much of our Western consumerism and affluence has impacted much of our culture's perception of the faith, much of our culture's perception of Christianity, where there's a certain strain of Christianity that promotes and believes that believers will experience all good things. The believers will experience health and 
wealth and prosperity. And friends, that is simply not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures are clear that those who know and love and follow Christ embrace a a life that will be marked by suffering as our Lord's life was marked by, by suffering. Even so, we are called to follow His example, for His example is the ultimate example as the one who in His suffering reconciled unbelievers to God. And likewise, as we deal with hardship, as we deal with pain, as we deal with turmoil, as we deal with injustice and suffering, we are called upon to live and to walk and to talk and to act in a way that draws others to the goodness of our God. So follow Jesus' example. Two final points of application uh, before we bring this message to a close. Firstly, leave ultimate judgment to the Lord. We're called upon to leave ultimate judgment to the Lord. Verse 23, when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's one who embraced the ultimate suffering, laying down his life enduring tremendous physical and emotional pain for us Jesus entrusted his life to the Father. He trusted the Lord and the Lord's plan. He left judgment to the Lord. And likewise, church, we are called to to trust in him. Leave ultimate judgment to the Lord. And lastly, look to the cross. As believers in Jesus, we are called upon. We are invited to look to the cross of Christ day after day after day as we seek to follow him. Verse 24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The righteous judge, great judge and ruler over all took the judgment in our place for us that we might be freed from sin and the bondage of sin and thereby give ourselves more fully to him, serving him, loving him, declaring the hope that is found in in him. Church, as we think about these truths and try to bring them together and make some overall sense and application of them. I think we see right here in First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, that we are called to be hope in the darkness. Believers in Jesus are called upon to be hope in the darkness. We are hope in the darkness, not because of any intrinsic goodness in any of us, not because we are better than the rest of the world, but because we know the one who is the living hope. We know the one who gave his life and was raised by the power of God from the dead. So when people look at your life, believers, do they see something different? When people look at my life, do they see something different? When people look at our lives, do they see a Jesus way of living? When people look at our lives, do they get a glimpse of of hope? In church, as we begin to think about what this looks for us and how we can apply these truths to our lives today and in the days ahead. I want to mention some opportunities over the next few weeks as a church we emphasize uh, some community ministries and community involvement in a way that might point others to the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. As we heard earlier, a couple of those will be mentioned tonight, a couple opportunities, ongoing opportunities that we have as a church through various community ministries that we partner with, but then also over the next few weeks, uh, we'll have a couple opportunities. We'll have uh, the afternoon of October 9th. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to serve some of our local schools. 
In the afternoon of October 16th, we want to serve some of our local civil servants, some of our local fire stations and police stations, uh, showing appreciation and love for them as salt and light uh, that we're called to be in in the world. And then on two other Sunday evenings during the month of October, the second, which is next Sunday evening, and on the 23rd, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge all of us uh, as a church to consider uh, and pray about uh, being intentional those evenings about loving our neighbors, about inviting neighbors uh, that live near us to come into our homes, to get to know them, to do something together, simply to build a relationship with them. Some of you may have that relationship. Others certainly may not. But to welcome folks in our homes for the sake of getting to know them, ultimately for the sake of sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ with them. So let me ask you to pray about that as we think about a concerted effort, as we think about many from this faith family engaging in such a practice together for the glory of God uh, and the spread of his gospel right in our community, in our neighborhoods, and ultimately to the end of the earth. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do love you and we thank you that you are a God who has first loved us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who calls us your people, a God who welcomes us into your presence uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for us on our behalf. Father, we thank you that you are a God who, who bore our sins in the body of Jesus Christ that, that we might be freed from sin and that we might live for righteousness. So Lord, help us know what that looks like for us Guide us that we might be salt, that we might be light, that we might be hope in the darkness. Guide us that we might faithfully follow after you for your glory. And lead us now by your spirit, Lord, as we respond to the truths of your word in a way that glorifies you. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.